A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Before today's show, I've been dropping little hints over the months about some exciting news that we have to announce about the role that CanadaLand is going to be playing in the larger Canadian journalism scene and an initiative that we've been planning. I've been, I've been coy. I've been suggestive. Uh, I didn't actually have my shit together. I didn't want to say something I couldn't commit to. And now I can commit to it. We're going to do it, and so I can tell you about it. But let me back up a minute. I think that a fair way to judge any industry is by how well it treats the people who want to be a part of it. And by that metric, we suck. Journalism is miserable to the people who want to become journalists, and we need them so badly. We should be mentoring them. We should be welcoming them. And instead, we really get a kick out of discouraging them in this way that we think is really like very newsroomy and like, ah, you, you chose poorly. It's not too late. You could still make money somewhere else. There, there are no jobs left. Give up now. We discourage them in the journalism schools while we are taking their money to teach them how to be a journalist. We tell them, get out while you still can. When I was struggling... I had so many doors shut in my face. I mean, just to get a coffee with an editor, even just to like take a walk around a newsroom with somebody and get their advice, it was something that was not available. So we're going to do the opposite of that. We're going to open our doors. And the thing that we are going to welcome young journalists, young aspiring journalists, young aspiring audio journalists, we are going to welcome them not just to our newsroom, but to a new thing called Canada Labs. Canada Labs is a physical space in which we are going to be welcoming young journalists to come and meet us and talk to us and learn. With the generous support of our lead workshop partner, ACAST, we are going to be welcoming people for free workshops from our staff and from other members of the journalistic community. And I have brought this up with people who used to be like editors-in-chief of national newspapers who are dying to do this. We're going to have some incredible people teaching workshops. 
Canada Labs will also include audio journalism fellowships. And these are delivered in partnership with our friends and neighbors now at Journalists for Human Rights. And they've just moved in next door. So we are going to be offering emerging journalists a paid opportunity to gain valuable hands-on newsroom experience. They're going to get a desk here at Canada Land, guided mentorship from our team of journalists and editors, and they are going to have an opportunity to get paid to develop and produce their own story. Again, we're doing this with Journalists for Human Rights, and applications are now open for Canada Lab's Audio Journalism Fellowships. There is one other project of Canada Lab's that I am announcing today, and that is our local correspondent audio contest. And this really is a way that we can offer something to everyone because not everybody lives in Toronto and can come and be a fellow here in our offices and not everybody can come to our workshops, but anybody can enter this contest. This is something that our colleague here, Julie Shapiro, has done before to great success. It's sort of her passion. If you are an audio journalist or an aspiring audio journalist, we want you to make us a very short piece of produced audio that shows us what you've got from where you are. Our team will listen to everything you send us, and if you win, there is a prize. You will be published by us. But here's the thing. Everyone who submits a finished piece of audio work to this contest is going to get a profile on our website. What we want you to have is a calling card on the website of a known podcast company. We think that's going to help everybody who enters this contest in their career. So those are the three pillars to Canada Labs. That's how we're kicking things off. And we're only able to do this thanks to generous support from Amazon Music, from the Perspective Fund, from Acast, from Journalists for Human Rights, and our exclusive design partner, Made by Emblem. So those are the partners that have stepped up to help us get this thing off the ground. But running this is something we want to do permanently. We want to be a permanent hub for young, diverse, aspiring journalists who want to join us and make this industry work. And in order to do that, in order to keep Canada Labs open permanently and build on what we are launching today, what we're kicking off today, we will need more support from our listeners. So for everything I'm talking about, the place to go is canadaland.com slash Canada Labs. If you want to apply for a fellowship, a paid fellowship, go to canadaland.com slash Canada Labs. If you want to find out the rules for our contest, what the prizes are, what the parameters are, go to canadaland.com slash Canada Labs. If you want to find out about our workshops and our events that are free, but which have limited capacity, go to canadaland.com slash Canada Labs. And listen, if you want to support what we're doing and make this a success, and here I am talking to everyone. Go to canadaland.com slash canadalabs. Thanks, everyone. Hey, John Paul, president of My Broadcasting Corporation, which is a network of radio stations in small to medium-sized markets here in Ontario. Hello. G'day. John, uh, on the show today, let's not talk. Uh, Bell Media breaks up with Justin Trudeau. And Pierre Polyev turns the dickishness knob up to 11, which is louder than 10. Welcome to Shortcuts, where we talk shit about the news. <laughs> This episode is brought to everybody by Nathan Wren, Jacqueline Sears, Prakash Krishnan, K. 
Kevin Delaney, Ruby Bell, Tiffany Regaudi, Patrick St. Amand, and Duncan. I'm Duncan, and I'm the executive director of the Vancouver Fringe Festival. I support Canada Land because I believe in the work of independent journalists. I love the backbench and Matea Roach for their thoughtful political coverage that avoids horse race politics, not to mention the amazing work that Archie Mann and the Commons teams puts into every season. And I occasionally even listen to Wag the Doug, despite not living in the centre of the world, Toronto. Keep up the good work. Canada slashes jobs in its biggest layoff in decades. Bell is cutting 4,800 jobs. Including the sale of more than 20 local radio stations, part of what it calls the company's digital transformation. Like corporate vampires, they sucked the life out of them, laying off journalists. Uh, They have overseen the encrapification of local news. So yeah, I'm pretty pissed off about what's just happened. That was that was uh, BC's Premier David Eby calling them incrapifying in, in vampires, and it was our Prime Minister who's pissed off. I wouldn't want to deal with him when he's mad. <laughs> what happened, John? Because like you know, layoffs in media—that's just like an everyday thing, right? Yeah, I think their timing was probably not ideal. I think I think there's certainly some politicians that always look for somebody to blame for the world. And Bell maybe made themselves a very easy target in that sense. And it was about three years ago uh, this month that they did their other big culling of newsrooms and such. So that made them a huge target and probably put a taint on the Bell Let's Talk Day, which is unfortunate because I think that was a very good public campaign that they started. And Unfortunately, their actions maybe tainted it a little bit. We've been pointing out the taint on on that uh, initiative for some years now, but I take your point. Yeah, like it's just the, the concept was a good one and it just kind of went sideways. But uh, yeah, I think the reality is politicians are mad. You know, local news is important. Local news has been disrupted by everything from uh, failures of newspapers, which some of the failures of newspapers are internet, are Facebook, are Google, are all those things. And if we're being honest, some of them are, they didn't run very good businesses, which is also a problem. I think in, in Bell's world, I think they've come to the realization that small markets are not their strength. Large markets maybe are. So they're getting rid of staff. So they announced they're, they're getting rid of staff that maybe service some of the smaller markets. They're selling these smaller market stations to guys like me who hopefully can take them and do great things with them. And we should say that you, you are scooping up four mm-hmm. of the radio stations that uh, that Bell is getting rid of. They're selling 45 of yeah. the 103 regional radio stations, and your, your small network is sees a buck to be made. There's a future in radio. You're buying four of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're buying Kingston and Brockville, which are, are great markets. Uh, regionally for us, we're in that region already, so it, it makes complete sense. I think Bell's just, you know, they're at a transition point. They got hit by a tsunami of things, including the pandemic, including the TikToks and the YouTubes of the world. I think that their original concept was buying all this media was great because they would be able to create all this content and they'd then have distribution channels that would require people on cell phones to buy, you know, bigger plans and all that stuff. In all of that, you know, Mark Zuckerberg came along, uh, TikTok came along. My observation from being on the outside, they just didn't have a strategy of how to deal with that because what made a lot of those radio stations great were commitments to the local community 
And I think what makes Bell great is their ability to help big companies reach mass audience in in efficient ways. And when those big companies said, oh, we got to cut back because of this, that, and the other thing, they didn't have anything else in the bucket and they got sort of caught. And not only that, they didn't have the skills to fill that bucket quickly or the people. And I think that sort of is part of what leads us here today. I don't think they had the will. I don't think they cared. I think it was just too small potatoes. The way that this is getting discussed with a very specific focus on news, I feel is obscuring a lot of of the relevant context here. I'm so glad to have you here because it's the idea that radio is dead. Like, well, why are you buying radio stations is something I want to get into. But Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like we can offer a lot of information for people that is in this pissing match between the prime minister and Mirko Bibic of Bell. What is actually going on here? First of all, 4,800 layoffs is why this is big news. That's I think, should be the reason why. That's a lot bigger than a lot of the media layoffs that we've uh, seen before. It's 9% of the Bell workforce. This focus on what this means for news, okay, it has impacts on news, but fewer than 10% of those cuts are Bell Media specifically, and Bell Media isn't just news. So the vast majority of the impact of this is in other parts of Bell's business. Yeah. About 100 cuts are media sector cuts. Okay, that uh, are part of a Unifor, unionized media jobs. It is true that this is going to have a massive impact on news. As we said, they're selling 45 of their regional radio stations. Also, weekday noon newscasts, television news, 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. newscasts on on weekends uh, at all stations are gone except Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa. And the weekday noon newscasts at all stations except Toronto will end. So the biggest impact here is on TV news. We get very dramatic whenever there are any cuts in news. And with all due respect to my colleagues in TV news, if we're going to have a grown-up conversation about the actual job of, like, preserving journalism, if we had a million dollars to reinvest into journalism and we wanted to make sure that 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 municipalities were getting covered, you wouldn't spend it on TV news. It's a very expensive way of really distributing news. Sometimes there's original reporting. It happens. I I don't mean to discount it, but there's so much that has to be put into the infrastructure, into the production values. If you had a million dollars and you wanted to get the most journalism for your buck, you'd hire like, you could hire like an editor and like nine or 10 reporters to just like file stories all the time. So You know, the destruction of W5 is meaningful. This is the longest investigative TV news series, I think, in in North American television. You know, they always say, like, we're not getting rid of it. It'll evolve into some kind of – they're keeping the brand alive in some kind of minimized way. So there is a news aspect of this. I think it says a lot about the death of TV news. But I want to get at at, at the politics of this here. Often when big corporations announce layoffs like this, John – As you know, they they really try to make as little noise as possible. They want it to be neutral and quiet. They use bloodless corporate language about shifting market forces. You know, it's nobody's fault. It's not our fault. It's not your fault. It's just the world. And, you know, they try to dump the news. That is not what Bell did here. No. They went as big as possible. I want to read from Mirko Bibic of Bell. We continue to face a difficult economy and government and regulatory decisions that undermine investment in our networks, fail to support our media business in a time of crisis, and fail to level the playing field with global tech giants. Of particular concern is a recent decision by the CRTC forcing Bell to provide third-party resellers access to our high-speed fiber network before we even had an opportunity to recoup our multi-billion dollar investment. Emphasis added, Bell Media's news operations, we continue to incur over $40 million in annual operating losses despite having the most watched network of local TV stations. To me, John, it seems like he went out of his way 
to maximize the blame on government and the courts and the regulatory framework and everything that they didn't get. The political impact seemed very specifically directed at Justin Trudeau, explicitly taking aim at at one of his signature policy goals, namely that he is taking on big tech and he's going to save the news business. And here is Bell saying, no, you failed us. You failed to rein in big tech. And that's why we're killing these news jobs. So all this focus on the news jobs. If you can read between the lines of what Mirko Bivik said, you might agree with me that this, this seemed personal and targeted. And it also seemed like Trudeau took it personally. And, and, and let's hear a bit of his uh, full statement. I'm furious. This is a garbage decision by a corporation that should know better. We've seen over the past years, journalistic outlets, radio stations, small community newspapers, bought up by corporate entities who then lay off journalists, you know, change the offering, the quality of offering to people. And then when people don't watch as much or engage as much, the corporate entity says, oh, see, they're not profitable anymore. We're going to sell them off. This is the erosion, not just of journalism, of quality local journalism at a time where people need it more than ever, given misinformation and disinformation, but it's eroding our very democracy. Our abilities to tell stories to each other of how people's lives are, stories that reflect our own communities and not central offices in our biggest cities, is part of what binds this country together from coast to coast to coast. And over the past years, corporate Canada, and there are many culprits on this, have abdicated their responsibility toward the communities that they have always made very good profits off of in various ways. And they need, like, as a government, we have been stepping up over the past years, fighting for local journalism, fighting for investments that we can have, all the while fending off attacks from conservatives and others who say, no, 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 you're trying to buy off journalists. We're trying to support journalism in this country and across this country. But No government can do it alone. Canadians need to demand better, as we will be demanding better, from corporate leaders, like in this case, Bell. I can't conceive of a more disingenuous-sounding piece of (laughs) pre-rehearsed performative outrage. He's just such a terrible actor. But that's one critic's opinion, and maybe besides the point. I, I think that just as Mirko Bibic was trying to maximize the political damage to Trudeau, uh, Trudeau was, I think, trying to you know, maximize the scorn he was heaping on Bell to whatever effect uh, and, and to whatever legitimacy that we place in. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. What is clear for our purposes in this conversation, John, is these two guys don't seem to like each other anymore. This seems like a, very clearly a breakup. They seem to be done with each other. And what I want to ask you about as somebody in the business is like, can you shed some light for our listeners on like what is the relationship? What is the longstanding deal that the government has with a big telecom giant like Bell? Yeah, you're talking about just the relationship operating wise. So there really isn't much one. I mean, to be fair to the CRTC, the CRTC is it's a government agency. It's, you know, a bunch of people that move at a government pace, but there's pretty strict rules in the CRTC of what you're supposed to do and not do. So in radio, there's two things we have to do. And there's, there's only two things. We have to play 
CanCon for our radio mm-hmm. stations. And we have to have a logger tape of all the things that we do every 24 hours and keep it for 30 days. That's it. Different radio licenses have different CRTC requirements. Don't, don't a lot of Canadian stations have to play like an hourly newscast? No, all of that stuff's gone. It used huh. to be that way years ago. So all that stuff's gone. So those are the only two things as a radio broadcaster we have to do. There are some stations that have additional things because they promised the government they would do them to get the license. So they might say, well, we'll play an hour of jazz every day. Or, you know, there was a station in Ottawa that promised to be all blues. That's usually a threat, but okay, it could be a promise as well. In television, it's slightly different. So in television, there is an amount of local news content that needs to be met and there are caps on the amount of commercials that they can run per hour there are things like that it's a little bit more difficult than radio but other than that the relationship we're not reporting to the crtc on a weekly basis nor are they coming and asking us for anything the challenge has been that broadcasters and big companies like bell we've been put in a position where 2024 is very different than 1985 And the rules that we had in place, CanCon rules and news category rules and all these things, in 1985, they made sense. They don't make sense in 2024. So the argument that Bell wants to put in front of everyone, which I can argue both sides, is simply this. We let Netflix do whatever the fuck they want. They take money from Canadians. They don't have to give anything back. Meanwhile, we're over here doing the exact same thing, but because we distribute it differently, we've got to focus on all these rules and it's not fair. And, you know, the same with Facebook and the same with Google, you let them take all the money. They don't have to give back any Canadian content. So you either have to say to us, level the playing field, you know, have at her, let the best man or woman win, or you give them the same rules you give us. In my world, so I'm in a radio world, the argument I keep coming back to is the challenge I have, if you said, what's the magic thing you would change, John? It's Canadian content. So I believe that I should get relief because I provide Canadian content. Why do I need to play Jan Arden or Blue Rodeo more? You want to be let off the hook of your CanCon music requirements and you want to be given CanCon points for your Canadian news coverage. I would like a choice. Right. Like, it doesn't I would have like, to be music. It could be one of the yeah, other. Like, and, and I think what that would do is some programmers would say, hey, we want to be music oriented, so we'll take the music. We're good with that. Yeah. Others might say, no, we want to be more community focused. We'll take the news. So now we have a little bit more competitive advantage on our music side. I, I, and, it, and then what that does is it keeps the rule, right? I don't know if Canadians care whether they hear a three-minute newscast about their community or three minutes of you know, uh, the Tragically Hip or whatever. I mean, these are great bands, by the way. I'm not disparaging them. I think the audience can decide. And then the station that plays the band gets credit and the station that does the news gets credit. And we let creativity inspire whatever decision you want to make because that's the problem. The problem is in the current structure, Bell has no incentive to create more news. It's a cost. It's a line on a financial spreadsheet. In radio, they're not required to do it, so they largely don't. Yeah. Whereas I look at it and go, well, if you made them or gave them the option – you might get more local news. Because I can tell you from my 20 years of surveys of all our markets across the province, uh, probably about five or 6,000 responses every time we do it. So statistically pretty accurate, representing the pool of people. The number one reason people listen to our radio stations is local news. It's the number one reason. And it's because we do local news. 
I think people forget that, lo- that that local radio is still a factor. It's still in many people's cars yeah. and homes. And and one of the reasons why people still choose uh, to listen to radio when there's so many really excellent podcasts out there yeah. is because they're getting local news. Where else Correct. can they get local news and traffic and weather? Uh, this is a this is a you know we overlook it too, but it, but it's and there's obviously still a viable business there. Yeah. I will say, though, the government sure feels like there's a deal. Here is Heritage Minister uh, Pascal Saint-Ange describing that deal and, and how she feels it was broken. In the past decade, when acquisition were allowed for those big companies to acquire television station or radio station, it came with the promise that they would deliver on news content. And today, they are uh, backing from that promise. Oh, which is, you know, again, it's more blame on, on media, but it's also saying like, we, we got screwed here, which is like, okay, isn't it? You know, I think it's fair to judge politicians by outcomes. So if you allowed these deals to go through and that was part of your, your plan to save news and, and now they're screwing you, it, it seems like you haven't done your job very well. So that's, that's how she feels the deal was betrayed by Bell. Here's what Bell wanted. And I think that we, we really have to widen our lens because I do feel like there's a bit of like, you know, keep your eye on the ball here and it, it serves it serves both Bell and the government to make this a conversation about news and I I want to I want to restress I don't think that it's it's actually about news nor do I even think it's about media but but Bell did have John as you were saying they did have asks when it comes to media and here's what Bell asked the Heritage Ministry when they were called to committee now we can ensure the central role of Canadian broadcasters by securing access to foreign content. We can also incentivize foreign streamers to partner with Canadian broadcasters, much like foreign linear services have done for decades. I want to break this down, John, and then I want to get your take on if I'm reading this right. I I see this as there are three scales and three vectors here. There's news, which is a tiny, even with CTV leading TV news, they're, they say they lose $40 million. Uh, you know, you, you can make the book say anything, but, you know, they, they're saying that TV news, you can't make money off of it. Even if you are number one, you're losing tens of millions of dollars. Uh, but in the, in the grand scheme of Bell, it's a tiny, it's a rounding error. It's not a lot of money. And it's something that I feel the deal was sometimes an explicit part of the deal and sometimes an implicit part of the deal is they get certain things from government and they are going to keep their newsrooms alive and healthy uh, it kind of as a like, oh, it doesn't really matter if we lose some money off of this. This is this is part of us being a, a, a good corporate citizen. Then you've got media where traditionally t- television broadcasters like Bell made a lot of money mm-hmm. by buying uh, American shows because the American networks were not allowed to directly broadcast in Canada. Right. So that was a government protection which handed a market to TV broadcasters like Bell. And Bell could go scoop up the rights to things that Canadians want to watch, which are American shows, and then sell ads on content that they did not make. And the way that the, part, the deal there was, if they put back into news and into CanCon production, money losing things in many cases, then they had a protected market handed to them by the government. That part of Bell's business has come under, as you describe, incredible stress, and that's what we heard Bell talking about there, as the Americans realize increasingly, why are we selling licensing rights to our content to these, like, American intermediaries when we can just go direct to Canadians on streaming services that are not regulated? And that's what Bell's been asking for. They've been saying, you've got to regulate these guys. Bell doesn't give a shit if Netflix pays into the CanCon system, this whole, like, leveling the playing field thing. What they want is for Canada to become so wrapped up in red tape that the old scheme stays alive. That if 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 you are uh, a TV network in the states, you still sell your content for cheap to Bell rather than just have a streaming service and, and go and go direct. And they didn't get what they wanted fast enough, right? Yeah. Well, look, I, 
I think there's an answer in there somewhere because to be fair to Bell, losing 40 million, even though I, I fully appreciate what you're saying and I, I agree with it, but from Bell's point of view, like think of all the things Bell doesn't lose money on. Like there's probably like it's, the list is pretty short. So it, losing 40 million probably stands out really big because everything else they're making incredible margins. On. I don't think that's it. <laughs> I think that they would I, I think that they would be very happy to maintain a good relationship if all it cost them was 40 million. And here I think we get to the rub of it. Why Bell broke up and he, Mirko Bibic said it. It's no big secret. Why Bell broke up with government was because of what happened with their fiber optic networks. Right? 100%. The big part of their business, they're moving away from content entirely. Yeah. News is just the, 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 the most money losing part of it. But content entirely, they, they are getting us with rates that are higher than anywhere in the world for our access to internet and wireless internet. Yeah. Okay. For, for their smartphone business and, and their fiber optic network. And they say we put these you know billion dollar investments into the fiber network. The government subsidized that to a great degree. And now the government is saying because of the fact that Canadians pay more for internet and smartphones than other countries, we demand that you let your competitors onto your fiber optic network. You cannot yep. have a monopoly on fiber optic and uh, in, in Ontario and Quebec, and Bell fought tooth and nail and lost. And that is what this is actually about. Well, I mean, it's the bigger slice of the pie. Like, I think in the Bell... By order of magnitude. Yeah, like, it, like well, in Bell, to give you context i've always been told that radio on the bell list of you know assets ranks near kiosks in malls like it's it, it's not a big part of the pie but it's the sexy part because nobody's like what who cares about fiber optics in the ground right but it's the sexy part and i i think the government's point of view back when they allowed bell to do all these things i think they believe that hey bell's this big company they believe in our country they you know, they turn out good results for Canadian shareholders, which is also important. I mean, that's people's pensions and people's investments is important. They're a good, good Canadian company. And that good Canadian company has been put in a weird position that they have this asset that now is struggling. They don't see a way out of it. And it's the sexy one that everyone sees and knows about. And it, it, it got hit by a tsunami of things. And it's personal to Trudeau because it has to do with news. So, yeah. so I, I think what they're saying is, we're done and we're going to do everything we can to, and, and he's, you know, looking horrible in the polls. We are going to help to like drive a, a nail through your coffin and set our, our, our next relationship up with the next guy. And here it must be said, you know, if we had as, as voters in Canada, a rational menu of political choices when it comes to telecom media news, you would have like, I don't know, you'd have the NDP saying, let's nationalize internet. Yeah. Uh, and let's nationalize news. Let's, 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 let's give more money to the CBC. You'd have the liberals in the middle doing, trying to keep this deal alive. And then what the conservatives would be saying is let's let foreign investment in mm -hmm. and not protect this market for Bell. But that is not what the conservatives want to do or have historically done here. And what we're seeing with the Ford government in Ontario is it's like still doing deals with business, but cutting the public out of the deal. Like, yeah. You know, like just giving businesses what they want without demanding anything back in return. And so I think what they're, what they're doing is uh, they're helping Polyev before he gets in office. And he has in the past tried to cut, and we're going to talk about this later when we talk about Pierre, he has tried to, there, there's two ways you, you can give subsidies to media. You can do the dreaded thing that Polyev hates, which is hand money to media, which, oh no, we shouldn't be doing that. Or you could just cut their requirements. You could give them cost savings. And he's absolutely been in favor of that. 
he's been in favor of motions to give uh, an over $100 million concession that where, where, where big telecom companies would not have to put money back in that they, they would otherwise have to do. So they are setting up their next daddy here. They're, they're setting up the next relationship. That's my take on this. But on your scale or mine, this is why I wanted to talk to you is that there is this like, you know, growing a consensus that, that these, these businesses cannot work, news can't work, media can't work. And I want to challenge that. It, what we're learning about news and everything else is they cannot work in a consolidated, conglomerate, correct, national corporate structure. Correct. That does not mean they cannot work at a local community scale. And you see value in the radio stations that Bell doesn't even want to have anything to do with. And neither you or I can afford to really mess with government or lobbying. I mean, who has the time? We're running small businesses. Yeah. But the real uh, original sin here, and if what we're really talking about is what is the role for government in this? Is it about subsidies? Is it about regulations? The real role for government and where everything went wrong is they allowed this consolidation to occur. Yeah, yeah there could be a cap or some sort of thing. I mean, the challenge is... You can't put the the poop back in the horse. Dear God. Yeah, Canada's not the only country. The States has the exact same problem. If you look at me, I'm a guy that I did the work. I built this group up. And there's going to be a day where I want to retire and I want to sell it for as much as I possibly can. Sure. And, you know, the challenge becomes who has the money? And the answer is the big guys have the money. And the big guys want to get bigger because they want to pay you know, more dividends for more shareholders. Like it, it is sort of part of the cycle. I think some rules would have helped. We can't go back and change it now, but I think what we can do is say, how do we encourage the people that are good at it to be good at it and incentivize them to do it? And I don't think it has to be a money thing. I think it has to be, uh, we're going to allow you to think outside of the box and make this work and we're going to support you in it. And there are going to be some rules. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? 
Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. John, it's your first time here. We try to keep people on top of news items they might otherwise miss. We duly note them. I'm going to duly note, you know, this is a a media closure that uh, actually had more of an emotional impact on me than the one we discussed previously. You know, people might remember Carrie Benjo, uh, who has uh, contributed to Candleland before. She's also the editor-in-chief of Eagle Feather News. Eagle Feather News has been around for almost 27 years. This is an indigenous newspaper in Saskatchewan, really community-based news for a community that desperately needed independent voices representing them and so much to keep track of. And like 27 years, like maybe it's about celebrating the achievement, but they are going on a hiatus. And that is, uh, Carrie says, because of the uh, precipitous fall in advertising. And uh, they are just not able to keep going in the current environment. I I would hate for a departure like that to go unnoticed or unnoted. Don't be sad it's over. Be glad it happened. That's a nice way to think about it. Duly note it. Do you have something to duly note? You know, it's interesting. I was talking, I don't know if this has been a news story, but it has, I missed it, but it, it did concern me. I was talking with a college professor the other day who was explaining he does um, radio and media arts at a college. And he said that in the current environment, he thinks maybe their program might be done. And the reason is uh, the Ford government, I, I wasn't really fully up on the particulars of this, but when they used to get a student that would go to this course, they would get a credit from the government for the student to be in this course. And uh, the, the government's taken away that credit. So he now has to add 17 foreign students because foreign students will pay a much higher tuition. And he says, the only way we can break even on this course now is to have 17 foreign students. Uh-huh. And he said, traditionally, we might have two or three. And unfortunately, where we usually have 30 students in our program, the math just doesn't make sense. We're going to lose out on this program. And we've seen it happen in a lot of universities and, and, and colleges where media programs and journalism programs are, are losing you know, th- that as a class or a course or a vocation, which I think is going to you know, become a bigger problem down the road. It has a ripple effect down to real world you know, how we get informed. For sure. And for, and for me- media business owners like us, it has to do with the talent pool and the skills, yeah. as you say. Sometimes the decision of like, well, let's just not have the program is not necessarily the wrong decision, but it does put stress on us. And I think it puts responsibility on us to pick up the slack and actually take more of a mentorship and training role. Yes. We're stepping up for that. I think that that's an opportunity and and doesn't have to be a burden. For sure. Duly noted. One last thing I just want to quickly duly note. Every now and then I get something wrong and uh, we always correct when when we get something wrong. Sometimes corrections just appear on on the website, on the show notes and uh, on archived episodes of Shortcuts if it's kind of like a small technical thing. But other times, like if I make a significant enough error, then I want to put it on the show. Last week, I identified Susan Kim as an NDP member of the provincial legislature. She's actually a city councilor in Victoria. She has no official affiliation with the NDP. I regret the error. It's a big enough one for me to mention here on the show. Very good of you. Well done. Thank you. Duly noted. All right. It's an old story, Pierre Polyev versus the press, but it's getting weird. <laughs> yes. This is like, it, it's getting uncomfortable, awkward, and weird. This is a sound clip. This is a, a, a little uh, tiff between 
Pierre Polyev and a reporter from the Canadian press that occurred last week. Party, why did your party want to grant over $100 million in regulatory relief to the mainstream media? We don't want to give uh, any tax dollars to the mainstream media. We, our belief is that the mainstream media and all... Your decision then? Uh, your party's decision no, to grant regulatory okay. relief? So I'll, I'll answer your question. Uh, the media that is bought and paid for... Which, where are you from, by the way? Which, which outlet are you in? Which outlet? Which outlet? Canadian Press. Ah, okay. Canadian Press. Boy, he really would have been happier if she'd said CPC. <laughs> she said Canadian Press. It's harder to put devil horns on the Canadian. It's just like a like this completely benign, I don't know, like it's just a neutral wire service. Yeah. So he goes, he says, well, CBC is one of your top clients. He yeah. tries to make it about the CBC. But I think it's worth breaking down what happened there. So the, the reporter from Canadian Press is pointing out like, Bell just cut all these jobs. You were in favor of giving them a hundred million dollars in relief. Yes. To the industry, which would have been $40 million for Bell. So, you know, answer for that because you, you know, here's this company that just cut 4,800 jobs and your party was in favor of giving them all of this extra money, right? He does not answer the question. He instead answers a different question. She says, we don't want to give any tax dollars to the mainstream. She didn't ask him about giving tax dollars to the mainstream media. She asked him, why were you in favor of saving them? Yes. All, all these millions. And she digs that she's not going to let him get away with it. And she says, well, then do you regret your decision? And that's when he attacks her and, and like, well, who are you? Where are you from? Who are you from? And then, <laughs> and then unfortunately for him, it's Canadian press. And then he just does his best to kind of go with this while the media is out to get me uh, anyhow. So, of course, you are a tax-funded media outlet and uh, spreading Justin Trudeau's message. This is his shtick, and we've done a supercut here. Here is Pierre Polyev versus the media. You're, you're a tax-funded you're a tax -funded mouthpiece to the PMO. You keep asking us the questions. Where are the journalists? We ask the questions. I have the freedom to ask questions if I want to, and I've just answered. I've been answering your questions all week. I'm trying to. I'm trying to, but you're heckling. Are you, going, are you going to let me answer the question, or are you just going to heckle on behalf of Justin Trudeau? Actually, you're wrong. Are you a CP? Am I being, I'm being heckled here by, by, by the... By, thank you very much for your congratulation. Thank you very much for your questions. So that's what that sounds like very often. And, you know, it followed this other thing that happened where, where he preempted... I've never seen this before. Actually, it's not true. Polyev tweeted about a story that hadn't come out yet. Okay, I haven't seen this happen except in like cases where there's a massive scandal and uh, somebody wants to get ahead of it. Yeah. And so they'll protest their innocence before. And he was like, the Toronto Star just came after me for my wife buying a $300 little splash pool for my kids. Is there is there no, you know, depth they won't sink to? And just as proof that they're out to get him. And I was like, maybe he's trying to get ahead. Like, there's no way that they were going to run a story that it's a scandal that he bought a $300 splash pool. So is there some bigger thing that they have on him and he's trying to, to diffuse this? And then this is the part that I've never seen before. The Toronto Star comes out with their story and it's not even an anti-Pierre Polyev story. It, it, it has to do with like the spending of this like third party group on, on security costs because it's getting more expensive to protect politicians. And because he had the pool, they had to build a fence, but there was no real blame laid his way. I don't even think that he felt like he was like, it's just such a routine thing. The star explained for us to send just fact checking questions. Yes. You know, like, did you buy this pool? We're working on a story in which you're a minor player, but we just need to make sure it's true. And 
rather than answer the question, he'll go public with a see they're out to get me narrative. Yeah. None of this is like huge, shocking news. Part of it is we have to understand that politicians, I mean, for years have refused to answer questions. They don't want to answer your question. They want you to ask a question so they can then pivot into their point that they'd like to give you a soundbite. So, and that's all politicians. That's not just Pierre, it's everybody. The other part of the problem is we have journalists or a lack of journalists that can control the politician in a way that they get emotional too and they just get in the the pissing match, so to speak, which never benefits them because it's sort of like being at a comedy club. The guy with the microphone's always going to win, even if he's not right. Yes, and it makes it a self-fulfilling prophecy because you know, he, he he's out there saying, oh, you're all out to get me, you're all out to get me, and they actually weren't out to get him. Yeah. But then Susan Delacourt has a piece, Pierre Polyev can dish it out, but can he take it? And now it's like, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's come true. Here's the Toronto star just brazenly picking a fight with Pierre Polyev. And it doesn't need to be a battle. Like, that's the thing that the rest of us are sitting here going. Like, the answer to the question was, yes, we voted in favor of helping media because we voted at a time when the world was in chaos because of the pandemic. If we were to vote again, would we do it based on what we have now? Maybe yes, maybe no. But we weren't doing it to make sure that this, that, or the other thing happened. We were doing it to help them like we helped other businesses. Yeah, and that wouldn't have cost him terribly, nor would it have gained him terribly. It just would have been an honest answer in the kind of like daily business of accountability. And instead, there's this game theory approach where he's maximizing every opportunity. I'm going to attack. Right, like what can I do with this? You know, it doesn't do me much to just answer your question. And one thing he gains, I realize, is the ability to just lie through his teeth. Correct. He had this claim recently that 40 offenders were arrested 6,000 times in Vancouver. Yeah. Okay. This is his getting tough on crime narrative that really 40 people were arrested 6,000 times in Vancouver. It's mathematically almost impossible. You, you dig into it and it's, there's a whole complicated thing, but, but I can accurately boil this down. It's bullshit. It's yeah. a lie. That is not true that 40 offenders were arrested 6,000 times in Vancouver. And we've lost our mechanism to even say to him, like, you lied. Can you be accountable for that? Even the way that he will perform accountability is game theory. So, and he's smart. He sat down with APTN recently. I I think he's the first conservative leader to do that. Following the announcement, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada sat down with us to discuss his party's plans for improving the lives of Indigenous peoples across Canada. I wouldn't call it a softball, but there was like really very little substance to what came out of it. He seemed to just like phone it in. Uh, First Nations here in Manitoba reacting to the announcement, saying they remain hopeful that the Conservative Party will champion the advancement of First Nations inherent and treaty rights, and that they approach this initiative with caution, considering historical policies and laws from the Harper era. Uh, Your thoughts on those concerns? We have to move forward together. One of the great injustices that has led to so much poverty uh, is that the government in Ottawa has far too much power. Uh, Ottawa concentrates all the decisions and the power. The uh, Indian Act, which was passed in Ottawa by politicians there who are not First Nations. Now he can say, like, what are you talking about? I give interviews to the Indigenous broadcaster. Yeah. Just because I didn't give you an interview, what does that mean? He's playing the whole thing like a fiddle and it's it's getting like it's spinning off from reality in a way that I've never seen before. The problem is too, what we're missing in Canada is we don't have the iconic voice of reason anymore. Like you used to be able to sit down with Lloyd Robertson 
or Peter Mansbridge, or, you know, go through the list of people that we respected, writers in the, the Toronto Star or the Globe and Mail or whatever. And like that reporter that's yelling out that, like, we don't know who she is. So we're not on her side per se, because we're like, well, she is kind of being a little bit rude. That's not the Canadian way. And as you say, she doesn't have a mic, so she's kind of got to speak over him. Th there's another kind of interview where you sit down with a serious journalist. Yeah, answer real questions. Yeah. Since becoming the leader of the Conservative Party and like almost certainly to be the next Prime Minister of Canada, I cannot recall him sitting down with a seasoned political reporter for an in-depth accountability interview. Like I'm talking about like, we're going to be here for an hour and we're going to go wherever you take me and there's no conditions on this and I'm going to answer your questions. With somebody who comes with receipts, with questions, if he dodges a question, you ask it again, you bring the statistics. This is something that has been done since the beginning of time in our, or at least in our modern era and I can't recall him ever doing that, or putting himself in that position where maybe he won't win. He is now taking questions from the rebel, which for a long time the conservatives stopped. I don't know how we do this thing. Yeah. I don't know how a voter is supposed to make a decision if that's something that politicians no longer do. John, that is uh, our Shortcut Show for this week. Thank you very much for joining me for it. Hey, I appreciate the invite. I can be emailed about it. I'm at jesse at canadaland.com, and I read everything that people send. Where can people find you? You can just find me on the old X or on uh, LinkedIn at John Pohl, at J-O-N-P-O-L-E. Hey, once again, as mentioned earlier, today is the launch of Canada Labs. This is the thing I've been most excited to tell you about for months now. And if you want to find out more about it, go to canadaland.com slash canadalabs. Find out about our fellowship, our, our competition, our free workshops and events. But Canada Land supporters, non-Canada Land supporters, support Canada Labs. We absolutely need you to do so. We want to keep this thing going for many years to come. And we want to welcome with energy and enthusiasm and training and opportunities, young journalists into this field. CanadaLand.com slash Canada Labs. Come check out what we're doing. This episode is produced by Aviva Lassard with additional production by Caleb Thompson. Our production coordinator is Andre Pru. Our editor-in-chief is Karen Poglese. Theme music is by so-called syndications by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you want to support Canada Land, go to CanadaLand.com slash join. Listen ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's gonna get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.